0: Hello, welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat.
1: I'm Jan Moffat,
0: and this is our podcast. (laughs) Like, no, hour of the on a clock, like the hour podcast.
1: Okay, get it? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I get it.
0: I, I'm not sure you do, because I think if you got it, you'd be laughing harder.
1: Right. Yes, of course.
0: So we're talking this week <laughs> We're talking this week about chapter 11, which we are going to call "The Maze." This episode was written by Noah Hawley and Nathaniel Halpern and directed by Sarah Adina Smith. Noah Hawley and Nathaniel Halpern have written every episode this season. I'm not going to keep explaining who they are. Ah. Uh, They are going to write the next episode and the next one together, too. But Sarah Dina Smith, we have not seen in Legion before. She is a director with not a lot of credits to her name early in her career, it seems like. But man, based on her work in this episode, I now kind of want to look up the things that I haven't heard of. The things that she has done. So this is, she has hardly anything she has an original film that she wrote and directed is her major thing and a few tv series in 2017 none of which i know but man she's doing a great job in this episode mm-hmm. uh do you want to take us through this episode jam
1: all right so we begin with another john ham narration talking about the nocebo effect a doctor gives a man an orange drink and tells him it will make him vomit, and he, it does. Cheerleaders dance on a white background, and we see a stressed-out cheerleader get a twitch in her shoulder, which spreads via conversion disorder to all the other cheerleaders of the Danforth Dune Stitch Devils. The idea of illness can become illness, so what else in our reality can become disorder? The title card appears with Part Contagion 5. Farouk sits with two women, and in his glasses are reflected the chalkboard battle between Farouk and David's father. He's put in an egg-shaped coffin and taken to a monastery where the monks of the Migo Order put it deep underground and tile over it. Later, the monks hear banging from below. So I'm just going to stop there. We're not in Division 3 yet at all, but there's a lot... In this introduction,
0: first thing, please, doctor, stop repeating over and over, this will make you vomit. You're going to make me vomit.
1: I know, it's amazing how, once again, this show really feels like it's drawing you into the madness. I think I'm going to be saying this all season long, and she's literally telling the audience, this is going to make you vomit, and if you're sensitive, You literally feel that way in real life just watching this show.
0: Watching this. I mean, like, hearing her say over and over and then watching someone vomit. Like, they're actually applying the nocebo effect on the audience, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And then we have the three examples that our narrator gives us. The Dancing Plague of 1518, the Tanganyika Laughter Epidemic, and the Hindu Milk Miracle. Mm Mm-hmm. The Dancing Plague of 1518 was, as it sounds like, a plague where people just started spontaneously dancing. Mm-hmm. They danced uh, themselves to death. It estimated over 200 people died from dancing themselves to exhaustion, mostly women, and mm. it spread. Uh, bananas. It is still unclear what happened, though the most common, the most common theory now is not a conversion disorder, but that egot fungus that grows on rye bread that is also the most common theory for what was behind the Salem witch trials, That which started also with girls spontaneously dancing. Hmm. Um, so it causes hallucinations. The Tanganyika laughter epidemic was in 1962, and nobody died of that, but it was uncontrollable laughter. As many people complained of screaming and pain and spontaneous crying as complained about laughter. Hmm. So it it was not only laughter and it spread throughout uh, Tanganyika, which is now Tanzania is where Tanganyika is. The Hindu milk miracle was in September of 1995. Hmm. That recently. That recently. And the story behind the Hindu milk miracle is that a statue of Ganesh being offered milk as an offering, drank it. And statues of the whole Hindu uh, pantheon were reported as drinking milk throughout India. Very few outside of India, only right on the borders into Pakistan. And it didn't last past September. In October, they stopped drinking.
1: Hmm.
0: The most common theory for that is that it, The statues really were absorbing milk, uh, but it was capillary action that it, but it's not a very convincing theory because why did it only last in that short amount of time? Why did it stop? It only lasted during the day and didn't happen at night. So maybe there was something about the heat and humidity. That one's hard to, though the show presents it as a case of contagious madness. Like, it's fairly documented that there really was milk. Hmm. Anyway, just so we know what those things are. Right. The cheerleading team is the Danforth Dunes Ditch Devils.
1: Yes. We spent a lot of time just off mic chatting about this, anagramming this, looking into what it possibly could stand for. I'm still not sure. I thought Ditch Devils was a thing, but then when you Google it, it's nothing.
0: It's like a piece of... uh, Excavation hardware is a ditch devil that yeah. digs stuff and is branded. So I don't think that's anything. Yeah. I think that's nothing.
1: When David had the wrestling match with Farouk, he had a big D on his chest, which I assumed stood for David. And these girls have the the quadruple Ds on their uniforms in a very similar way.
0: So was David wrestling on behalf of the Danford Dunes ditch devils? Exactly. Uh, he was wearing blue, I think, and they're wearing green. Mm, yeah, so the colors aren't the same. The colors aren't the same, no. Um, Danforth Dunes anagrams to understand, mm. and some extra letters, but then ditched out like we couldn't find any anagram that was persuasive or convincing. With the rest,
1: yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why d- anagrammed, but it's a lot of D's and D for David.
0: And also devils makes me yeah. obviously think of the devil with yellow eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. Even the little logo kind of looks like the Shadow King.
0: Yep. I also want to call attention to that the uh, cheerleaders have a tick. We talked in last episode about a tick, the arachnid kind of tick. Oh, yeah. Huh. So we have two episodes in a row with ticks, different, so different kinds. kinds of ticks. Yeah.
1: Oh, that didn't even occur to me. That's so smart. Thank you. Uh, did you notice that she poured when the ner- when the doctor is pouring the drink for the man at the very beginning, she pours creamer out of a milk out of a cow-shaped?
0: Yes. Creamer. So there's cows here. Like we'll talk about the cow when it comes up.
1: Yeah, but like there's this cow and then there's the milk miracle and so like we're already before we even get into the episode in this random cow appearance. We're getting cow imagery.
0: Yeah, there's seeds of cows for sure. Um, and then when the narrator says, my question to you is, if the idea of illness can become illness, what else about our society is a disorder? There's two things that I think about that. And the one is the narrator, once again, is speaking to us directly. Mm-hmm. My, qu- my question to you, you, you watching this episode of television right now like that's who the narrator is talking to once again that is something that didn't happen in season one no there were voiceovers but they weren't talking to us
1: no this is being very invited into madness and being very i found that the ability to spread something that you're just taking an action and it spreads is like we're all we all have abilities right that we don't know about like just the human condition has these abilities that we can't explain or understand
0: these psychic abilities are inherent to human existence
1: and that these are all real things like every part of when john ham narrates these are true things he's talking about like the conversion disorder and the nocebo effect are real things that in the real world these aren't just made up for legion
0: absolutely and the when he says what else about our society is disorder we see a bunch of tv screens of things like the stock market market crashes and uh rioting on the streets yeah and the there's something to that like pathologizing uh social ills is an interesting question. hmm absolutely. Yeah. What do you think about this title card, Part 5 Contagion, or Part Contagion 5?
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's just like, you read it, if you're, if you're not really paying attention, you read it as Part 5 Contagion, and then no, it actually says Part Contagion 5. And so I feel like this is yet another invitation to madness. This is like, Messing with your brain, going, I thought I saw something, but I didn't see it.
0: And once again... And it
1: came at the end of it instead of at the beginning.
0: Yeah. So, like, we usually get that at the beginning of the psychology lessons. Mm -hmm. And once again, we said this in previous episode, but just to remind ourselves, uh, you know, number four was chapter four. This is part contagion. Three was part three, but four was chapter four. But, like... There's no consistency. No. Not at all. Even already, there was no consistency.
1: So Farouk and the glasses, the sunglasses, and it having the whole scene from last season of The Chalkboard, I just thought was brilliant.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: That was one of my favorite moments of this episode.
0: I really loved it. And if you missed what is flashing on his sunglasses, it's Really is the chalkboard animation from episode seven. Yeah. Uh, the monster exactly. appears. Yeah. Which is great. It's beautiful. Yep.
1: And behind I noticed this time behind Farouk on the wall, he's with these two women, but uh on behind him on the wall are a hexagon pattern, but they're also like a much more complicated pattern.
0: Hmm. And I
1: thought that was interesting, that it was a like what we've seen before, but more complicated.
0: Interesting. And we have I want to draw attention to as he dies, this score is this uh, throat singing. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs>
1: good
0: job. Thank you. (laughs) Um, and that's going to come up again. Mm -hmm. I'll mention it again when it comes up again, but just, it starts here. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, so he dies and they put him into a coffin and his coffin looks like an egg. Mm -hmm. And eggs have been important this season. Ideas hatch out of eggs. His coffin looks so much like an egg Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or possibly like a pill.
1: Yeah. That or too.
0: Possibly, possibly. I think it's not meant to be this, but it looks a little bit like a grain of rice also.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, but I think the egg is the strongest connection that we have. Yeah. And it's like the black slimy thing that hatches out of an egg. Well, now we're putting it back into an egg.
1: Mm-hmm. And even when they're, when they drop the coffin down and they put the, the tiles over top, the shadow on the, on the coffin is like a zigzag crack. It looks like, like a crack.
0: Like the crack at the end of uh, episode seven. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked very much like teeth, like the jagged mm, teeth.
1: That too. Uh,
0: and then just before that, when they put him in the coffin and it drives to the monastery, who is driving that hearse?
1: Yeah. I wonder if we'll see her again.
0: Because it must be like, she must be working on behalf of Professor X, right? Because she takes him to the mux. Yeah. She's not one of his people. No. Uh because if she was, she wouldn't be taking him away to the mux. So she's and we really get a shot of her face enough that we would be able to recognize her if we see her again. Exactly. I think. Uh and that wasn't necessary. Like she could have just been a hearse driver. We didn't have to emphasize who she is but we mm-hmm. do yeah so i'm theorizing that she's going to come up again
1: yeah me too i hope that she does
0: um and then all the monks are all in the monastery and there's this banging coming from underneath and it's literally there is something beneath the surface mm-hmm. of what we are seeing here yeah i think that's the like their peaceful life is disturbed but also very much. There is more beneath the surface than we are recognizing at this point is I think what this banging below uh, should make us think.
1: hmm So back at Division 3, Potonomy lies in bed and the black oil monster crawls into his ear. He, yeah, it's super gross. He wakes in a hallway and wanders away disoriented. Carrie and Carrie are in the lab and male Carrie takes her to go eat and use the toilet, which she hates. Sid wanders the hall as a cat, talking with David in in her head. People gather as Clark spots a bloody handprint on the glass inside the chattery. Melanie, Carrie, and Clark go in search of the monk, but he's escaped out of a shaft and is loose in the building. David sees future Sid in his head, writing an H. The building goes on lockdown and David goes into the tank.
0: So what does the black creature crawling into Potanami's ear have to do with the rest of the episode?
1: Well, it does seem like this bad idea that we had in the first episode is literally there.
0: Yeah, definitely. It seems like it's physically manifest
1: and is it what's causing the madness or is it something completely separate
0: there's a lot of question in this i mean we haven't got to that yet but okay we haven't quite got to it yet but i'm going to jump ahead a little bit and mm-hmm. say farouk claims that the monk is the one causing the chattering madness not him yeah right but the black creature lenny is the one that hatches it Yes. And Lenny is, is and is not the Shadow King still. Yeah. So the black creature is associated with the Shadow King, not with the monk. And only Potonomy gets the black thing in his ear. Yes. And then when... So I'm just not convinced that the black thing in his ear is what causes Potonomy to to start chattering. I think there are two different things going on.
1: Especially since he doesn't immediately start chattering.
0: No. He, like, gets up and he's somewhere He's somewhere and doesn't remember where he was. And even after he wakes up, he doesn't remember what happened. And they assume that that's because of the chattering illness, but I'm not sure it is.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly.
0: So I think it's a red herring. Like, I think we are uh, being... Allowed to be misled, we're we're yep. being permitted to misread that into thinking that that's what causes him to chatter. But I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's a different thing.
1: Yeah.
0: And we have uh, as he gets the ear creature, and then he wakes up somewhere else in the room, and the voiceover alert says a loss of meaning is not normal. We have. Through the whole episode, like, I feel like these warning things need to be things that we, as viewers, take into account. A loss of meaning is not normal. When you watch something in this show and it doesn't seem like it means anything, feel, uh, off-put by that. (laughs)
1: Yes, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Then we have, uh, Carrie and Carrie going to eat, and Carrie's like, hey, come... It's time to eat. And Carrie says, oh, do we have to? And then the voiceover says, new symptom, irritability. And this is a thing. Okay. All three episodes so far, we keep hearing, like, new symptom. And it'll be something that we're seeing our characters <laughs> display. Yes. And also, like, these voiceovers, new symptom, a loss of meaning, la la la. Are those symptoms connected to the chattering teeth? I kind of uh thoughtlessly assumed that they were but the chattering teeth illness just causes people to be paralyzed and have chattering teeth we haven't seen anything about like that coming on slowly
1: yeah exactly
0: especially in this episode it just comes on people suddenly Mm -hmm. and even when we think back to what sid has told us about uh the catalyst they just find people paralyzed except for the chattery teeth they don't find people like by the time they find people it's they're already paralyzed. So what are they talking about with these new symptom? Mm-hmm. That's absolutely. not leading to the chattering teeth, I think. Mm-hmm. And all the people that we see are suffering from these symptoms. Yeah. A loss absolutely. of meaning and irritability and a strong urge to confess in the last episode. And I thought it was just David, but it's not.
1: hmm Absolutely.
0: And then... We have uh, them eating, Carrie and Carrie eating, and Carrie says, There's, this tastes fishy. There's literally something fishy going on here. And then the voiceover says, avoid using words with two meanings. Hmm. Which is fishy.
1: Which is fishy. Right? Whoa. Yeah. yeah this is... I don't really understand what the voice is.
0: I just have to believe that we're going to uh, hear more about it. But this voice, I think, it, my my conclusion at this point is that there are three separate things going on on top of each other. Mm-hmm. The voiceover symptoms that they're talking about is not the same thing as the chattering teeth contagion. And neither is the black thing crawling into Potanami's ear. Yeah. Those are three different things happening at the same time. And we're just assuming that they're connected or they may be connected we're just assuming that they're identical
1: I mean division three all last season was evil and now they're a part of it and we're not we can't just jump into them being like oh they're all good now no there's still something weird going on here and we should not just be complacent
0: yeah maybe
1: um a couple of things I noticed with Carrie and Carrie is um, Carrie <laughs> female Carrie goes to drink and she really loves the cream soda mm-hmm. and maybe this is just my bias but I feel like cream soda is a very child drink it's what children drink yep and so it's she still has very childlike taste buds yep and then in their room there's just the one single bed. And how like if they're gonna live separately from each other, they're gonna need to either like get a second bed, get a second room. How are they gonna work this? It's just like there's so many little things. I didn't even notice about how how they're gonna work. Living separately,
0: I was too caught up with the comedy of Carrie learning to eat and Carrie learning to use the bathroom are both hilarious. Played so funny,
1: absolutely. it's good comic relief. Like, we need a little bit of that in Legion.
0: Yeah. What did you think of Rachel Keller the cat wandering around? (laughs) uh, And David is, like, talking to her psychically while she's in the body of Rachel Keller. Is that what we're calling the cat? That's what we're calling the cat. Okay. The cat's name, officially, in case you missed the end of last episode. The cat's name, we have decided, is Rachel Keller until the show tells us differently? Ah, <laughs> uh, I just really like that that he can talk to her no matter where she is in the building because they're taught he's talking psychically to Sid slash Rachel Keller.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <laughs> yep. I think it's a really cool idea and really cool. Like, and she's he, she's kind of trying to spy. She's trying to find the monk.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so she can spy as the cat. Yeah. Although, I I mean, do people not know that she can become the cat? Because some people definitely know. Carrie knows.
0: I feel like it, I suspect that it is general knowledge. Mm -hmm. Although the cat, the the child soldier like pets her like she's a cat. But on the other hand, she has uh, instincts like a cat. Mm -hmm. So that's all so interesting and fun.
1: Mhm, absolutely.
0: And then we have the handprint and like okay, I have a question about the handprint inside the chattery, which is yeah. why is it ma- why is it in blood? Whose blood is it? Why is there a bloody handprint? Is it blood? It's red. This ha-
1: monk has two red streaks on his forehead.
0: Yeah, where do they come from? Mhm. He has access to the blue fluid which apparently was hooked up to him. I said yesterday it was hooked up to everyone. And it is hooked up to everyone, I thought, not yesterday, last episode, I thought it wasn't hooked up to him. But apparently it was. hmm So, my bad. But it's hooked up not only to him.
1: So, when he pulled, the, I think when he pulled the IV out, it bled.
0: Enough to make a whole handprint?
1: Yeah, I guess. That's a lot.
0: And also, the handprint on the window has got to be a deliberate signal.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's not I,
0: Accidental.
1: He wants them to go on lockdown? I guess. Maybe?
0: Yeah. So they're all locked in? Yeah, maybe. I noticed uh, as Clark and the other Division Three people are wandering around inside the Chattery, their isolation suits have a little hexagon on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the... The Vermilion say count confirmed one civilian is missing. So does that mean that the monk was just a civilian that they brought into the uh chattery unaware?
1: Yeah, apparently. He he's the Trojan horse. If anyone's a Trojan horse in this situation, it might be the whole tr- chattery, but it's definitely him.
0: Yeah. So I totally I did call that there was a Trojan horse in the chattery and I'm going to accept that as a correct prediction.
1: Mhm. <laughs> We don't know where they found him.
0: No. Because
1: in his, you know, we'll get to his memory, but everyone in the monastery except him was chattering. And then did he leave the monastery and then chatter and get taken in or fake chatter? And if
0: he's the cause, like, again, you haven't described this scene yet, but uh, Farouk says that he's the typhoid Mary causing the chattering. Mm Mm-hmm. So...
1: If that's right, he has to be
0: the last one. Yeah. But if that's right, Typho Mary is asymptomatic, and uh, the meaning of that uh, metaphor we could go into in a sec. But right now, I just want to question, if he's the one spreading the chattering to everyone else, he has to have been the last one, because it wouldn't keep spreading after he's in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But he was in the nightclub, so he would have been one of the last ones.
1: The nightclub turned entirely to chattering people.
0: Yeah. So
1: he, he must have been caught in the nightclub.
0: Yeah. I'm just um, thinking of that as I say it. But yes. But it would make sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, when Sid and David are wandering the halls before he goes into the isolation chamber, he tells Sid that Fukuyama said the monks can... Uh, hide their thoughts which is great we asked that in the last episode i just want to call out how great Mm -hmm. this show is for answering questions we have a question in one episode and it'll be answered in the next one and some of our questions are not being answered but again i believe that they will be Mm -hmm. because some of them are
1: so david goes into the tank and finds himself by a pool where Lenny is writing the word exit with a green air, with an arrow in green chalk. She and David talk, and she is desperate to get out. But David only cares about Farouk. She, he talks to him about the monk, and Farouk claims he's not a villain, tells David about his father, and Farouk tells David that the Sid in the future will cease to exist when he changes the future. So isn't he killing her? He calls the monk Typhoid Mary.
0: And I notice, uh, I definitely talked about last episode. I can't remember whether I talked about it on mic or not, but I noticed the aspect ratio changes and I paid closer attention this episode. And here we have, uh, widescreen when we're in Farouk's mind, we have widescreen. And when we're in the real world, we have full screen Hmm. or whatever. I don't know the numbers of the Aspect Radio. We have we have little black bars on the top of the and bottom of the screen here in Farouk's mind. And we didn't before when we're in the real world. So it's
1: just a signal to the audience that, hey, something is very different here.
0: Yeah. I suspect that it is, it's the kind of signal that is uh, unconscious. You yes, don't, and it's supposed to be. You don't consciously notice it necessarily unless you're paying attention, but things look different when we are in a fantasy or in a psychic space. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I think back over the last episode, that checks out to what I remember that full screen is real. Bars on the top and bottom is astral plane of some kind. Yeah. I Lenny talking to david lenny really wants david to know that it's her she says hey i'm lenny it's me it's lenny uh she she really is emphasizing to david who she is Mm -hmm. um and like also both lenny and the show are really emphasizing like this is not shadow king lenny this is hospital lenny again
1: yeah exactly
0: But she even says it, right?
1: Yeah.
0: How creepy is it that she pulled out all the line about, like, I pulled out all my hair, but it grew back?
1: Yeah. I mean, and we see in this scene her hanging herself, her shooting herself. She's just desperate to get out.
0: Or even, like, whether it's out or just, like, do something. Because pulling her hair out wouldn't make her escape. But it would... how it would be like a some kind of control over herself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She says she's a pet or a houseplant. And he, like, doesn't care. Mm-hmm. I can kind of, from his perspective, see why, because that's the face that tormented him. But, like, from my perspective as a viewer, like, she maybe was partly complicit, but I don't know. I think the show is really encouraging me, and I am uh, accepting it to feel a lot of pity for her.
1: Yeah. But David doesn't. No. David it's like, he basically ignores her. Yeah. Uh, she has a black and white, the black and white bathing suit again. And mm-hmm. there's the black and white chairs, too. And it feels like, I don't know, it continues to speak to this black and white dichotomy, this... It's very more, it's very. it's this
0: or it's this Yeah. kind of a thing. But that's interesting because Farouk does not have a black and white outlook on the world. No, he's the shadows. What it seems to me, what it made me think of, the fact that her bathing suit has a similar pattern to the deck chairs. That is just like the deck chairs, she's furniture. Yes, she's decorative. She's decorative. She's there dressed in what Farouk dresses her in so that she can be, she has equal importance to Farouk as the deck chairs. Mm-hmm. That was the signal to me of that shared, uh, the visual connection between her and the deck chairs. Yes, good call. And then Fruk says, the monks are of the Migo order are impenetrable unless you know the secret.
1: Yeah, and why doesn't David just go, and that is?
0: I don't know. Uh, David, come on.
1: David's conversational skills leave a lot to be
0: desired. <laughs> like, people are... Leaving him clues and breadcrumbs that he just never picks up on. Yep. I'm from the future, I know. No, just let her finish! Exactly. The monks are impenetrable, and yes, you know the secret. Pregnant pause. David changes the subject. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Ask him what the secret is. Ugh. And then Farouk offers David a drink and that makes, it's so much like Oliver offering David a drink in his ice cube. Yeah. Right.
1: And he doesn't drink it.
0: Yeah. I noticed. He
1: sniffs it and really doesn't drink it.
0: Which I think is a wise choice.
1: hmm Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't eat or drink in fantasy world. Basically.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um I also noticed in this moment that Farouk is wearing this nice suit and David is wearing, like, his shirt, the collar is frayed.
1: Yeah, he is wearing,
0: yeah, bad clothes in this. So there's some, uh, I don't know whether we want to think that Farouk has some control over how even David appears when he's in Farouk's mind. Mm-hmm. Whether we do or not, like, Farouk just seems like a grown-up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and David seems like a teenager in the mm-hmm. way that he's dressing. Yeah. Or Farouk seems like he is much more uh, wearing signifiers of authority and experience. Mm-hmm. And David isn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then that goes right to talking about whether he's a villain mm-hmm. and the, what the words mean.
1: And I'm still trying to parse out exactly. He talks about being a king. Yeah about David's father coming as a white man and telling his people what to do and how to live. And I'm just like, was he literally a king? Did he literally rule in some way? How exactly was he? What was he before Professor X came and defeated him?
0: In the comics, which doesn't necessarily mean anything for this show, but in the comics, Amal Farouk is, like, a essentially a crime lord who mm-hmm. has, like, a mafia family okay. that he leads. So he has, like, a, a band of pickpockets and thieves and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so whether that's at the details in this version, I think that Farouk was, like, a socially powerful individual with wealth and power and influence and people who uh, did what he said. Yeah. I think that he... Yeah. He, so he presents himself as being a benevolent king who protected these people. I think we have lots of reason to question that. Mm-hmm. But I think we also... I really like it as... The shift in perspective that like, even if we don't, even if we don't accept on uh, face value that he's the benevolent king, we also don't necessarily want to accept on face value that Professor X was the uh, benevolent liberator.
1: Yes, absolutely. I
0: really, really like the, your father who was a white man, which is, you tell me, important? He Mm -hmm. doesn't answer, just like you tell me. Does that matter? I don't know. Let's just keep going.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I really like because it's the kind of thing that in the original story, like when the story of uh, Professor X, Charles Xavier going to Egypt and meeting Amal Farouk and defeating him uh, was first told, it was not told with a lot of it, when it was first first told in the comics, it was not told with a lot of nuance and awareness of what it would mean for a white man to travel to Egypt and free the people from their uh, Egyptian, yeah, like
1: absolutely
0: coming in and not knowing the culture or the language. And he can be right; we can decide that he's right, and still decide that like there's some problems there. Yeah, absolutely. I love that the show is recognizing that.
1: Mm-hmm. This, um, speaking of this will make you vomit, Mm -hmm. this swinging swinging camera scene (laughs) where it's showing David and showing Farouk and the camera is like doing this pendulum swing back and forth. I could like, it made me so uncomfortable to watch. It's such a, it's such a disconcerting shot and makes me want to (laughs) vomit. But it's really good, too.
0: Yeah, I time. really, really like it. I think it's such good camera work for this disorienting effect. Of we don't know where, like, we're zooming towards one of them. We're losing perspective on, we don't have solid ground. We don't know how these two p- characters relate to each other, mm-hmm. even in terms of physical space. We don't know where it is that we're looking for from because it keeps changing. It seems like, I'm sure it wasn't, but it seems like they just hung the camera from a rope and like pushed it <laughs>
1: yeah exactly uh i mean like the camera work the cinematography here is just amazing
0: through this whole episode yeah through this whole show
1: yeah but just like that one specific scene is just it just shows how well done this is how cinematic this show is yeah
0: I want to point out when David asks Farouk, what will you do with your body? And Farouk says, live in it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Remember in the last episode when Lenny tells Farouk, I want a body. And Farouk says, what will you do? And Lenny says, I'll live in it. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same answer. Yeah. What Farouk kind of threatens Lenny about or challenges her on is exactly what he himself wants.
1: Yes. Yes. So, is he talking to himself?
0: When he's talking to Lenny? Yeah. Yeah, maybe.
1: Like, what is Lenny? He has her consciousness? Or is it just an aspect of himself?
0: I believe that he has has her consciousness in some way. But uh, that could mean that he has... I mean, not it could mean. It does mean he is... If he has her consciousness inside him, then it is partly her consciousness. I mean, it is partly his consciousness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what does it mean to have her in his mind and not, how is that distinct from her being part of his consciousness? Yeah. It isn't. Uh, Even though she is a separate identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I also really like Farouk talking when he said, Says, you know, David says you are just trying to make me feel sorry for you. I am not going to feel sorry for you. And Frick's like, is that such a terrible thing to feel sorrow for your enemies? I'm like,
1: yeah, he's so right. Ugh. I know
0: he's so the bad guy, but like, you are. He's right. Yeah, this is it such a bad thing to feel sorry for your enemy? And we have in this very scene. Us, the viewers, being really encouraged to feel sorrow for Lenny. Mm -hmm. And David doesn't. And he should. Mm -hmm. And he is failing to feel sorrow for his enemy when he should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Definitely
1: have a lot of sympathy for Farouk, which is surprising.
0: I know. Yeah.
1: He's a very, very compelling
0: villain. He is. So good. He would not like that I called him a villain. Yeah, I totally by the way, I uh <laughs> I was like dancing, you were there. I was like <laughs> dancing in the couch when it was they were like, Are you some kind of villain? And Ferg's like, What does this word villain? Because I was already there in my head. Like, he would not like you calling him a villain, because villain comes from vill like villager. Mm-hmm. Just like coward by the way comes from cowherd as in one who herds cows as in one who is not as brave as a knight. Uh the words that we have for bad guys are all classed. Um because upper class people are better than lower class people. Hmm. <laughs> uh not all, but often. So I really 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 like that moment so much and it's so good for not just uh, how Farouk sees himself is not how others see him, but also he's co- also, one of the other ways that he's completely right is what we call things, the meaning of words is important. Mm-hmm. You can't just, I mean, you can, but you are not wise to just brush past it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? No, it matters. Yeah, matters on the show. It matters in life. Uh, and even if he comes to the, Conclusions that I don't like. Like, he comes to the conclusion I can't be bad because I'm not of the village, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think is a reasonable conclusion to come to. But it's still so, like, don't just use villain without being aware of what it means.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, David wakes in Division 3 again, and he's alone in the lab. He wanders past people chattering and a cow and finds Carrie in a restaurant. Carrie tells him that the children are being led out by the monk, and they go to Sid's room and find Patonomy passed out and chattering. In his head, David and Carrie find a garden, and Potonomy cutting flowers without remembering anything. David puts a finger to his head, and he wakes. The monk is, continues to lead children, and David sees another letter from future Sid, a U. Melanie is chattering as well, and they take her into the lab before going into her mind. In Melanie's mind is complete blackness and a computer keyboard. David types commands, and they are in Melanie's maze maze with a minotaur. David attempts to force a way out, but when that doesn't work, he writes a story of a girl who has a dream to be carefree. Melanie appears and is able to leave the maze. What's with the cow?
0: What is with the cow? Okay, so the cow. Is this the moment when we're going to talk about the cow?
1: Yeah, let's talk about the cow right now. Okay.
0: what? Well, tell tell so, me your thoughts.
1: I mean, the cow appears multiple times in this episode. But what I noticed on like a third watching of the episode is the cow is covered in black dust. The same black dust that, that looks like the same black dust that when Oliver came, he turned people into. Right. So my theory, my working theory about the cow is that it is the pig evolved. (laughs) They're trying to turn the pig back into a human and they can't, but it's, they've gone to
0: cow. They who?
1: I don't know. Division three. Okay. (laughs) That's my theory. Or that somehow it's connected with the pig. Well, I mean, okay. It's
0: a farm animal? It's a farm animal. <laughs> but it, why, okay. Okay. How is it tra- teleporting, though, then? I don't think it's teleporting. I think it's just wandering. No, we see it vanish. Do we? Yeah. Oh, okay. When it first appears, David looks at it and then, like, it, it vanishes.
1: Okay. Or it's some kind of teleporting cow. What do you think it is,
0: Paul? (laughs) (laughs) It's some kind of teleporting cow. Okay. I think, uh, as always on this show and in all of literature, there, I mean, I'm calling this show literature, in all of uh, narrative, there's two... Ways of answering a question like what is the cow and what does it mean? And one is in world and the other is out of world. Yes. So in world, there's really seems to me to be three options, right? Uh, I guess there's two major options. Either the cow is real or it's not. Mm-hmm. I think it's real because everyone sees it and it yeah. behaves as if it's
1: unlike well. his dog, everyone sees the cow.
0: Exactly. And then so the question is, the cow. Is when you when you point out the dust that Oliver and Lenny turn things into dust and make things with dust. So like, then the cow is either something that's being done by uh, a psychic, or it's being or it's something that is making itself happen. Mm-hmm. And if it's being done by a psychic. It's being done by, I think four options, either David or the shadow King or the monk or something else. Fukuyama. Fukuyama. I don't think is a psychic. Okay. In that way. I don't think that the monk has shown, uh, ability to teleport and transmute matter and that kind of thing. He can shield his thoughts, uh, when David teleports him later, the monk is surprised by teleportation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So this cow moving around. So it's either then David the Shadow King or something else. David's so surprised by it, I don't believe that it's David, unless... It's
1: accidental, which David has been known to do.
0: It's accidental, and this is, leads me to... Okay, so unless it's accidental, the Shadow King isn't there. I don't see any evidence that the Shadow King is there. So I don't think it's the Shadow King, so it's either David or something that we still don't know about. We haven't said yet on Mike, but we have will soon, and let's say it now. There's a lot of evidence in this episode and even in this season that David has lived this before. mm-hmm uh and we've wondered um. We will wonder by the end of this episode whether this is David's maze, whether David has experienced all this before, and so the fact that the David that we see on screen doesn't seem to know what's going on with the cow does not mean that David's not doing it, and doesn't mean that David's not doing it deliberately, it just means that this David isn't doing it deliberately, and we know there's more than one Sid, and we know that there's a David in the future who isn't like the David in the present, and we know that... We've been through this more than once. Yep. Uh, somehow. And we'll get to that, I think, later in the episode. In our episode, we'll explain more why we think that. Yes. So I think that David is making the cow move around, but it's not the David that we, see, that we know yet. It's a David from the future, or it's a David who is overseeing this entire thing. That's my in-world <sighs> explanation of the cow. Absolutely. My out-of-world explanation of the cow is connected to, uh, we have um, the cow at the beginning. We talk about, we mentioned this already, the milk miracle. And we have the, this will make you vomit poured out of a cow. Mm -hmm. So the cow is connected to milk and the cow is connected to contagion, to the idea of the nocebo effect. And then also... A cow is a uh symbol of life of like a cow is gives milk and is symbolic of uh a nurturing feminine life giving and natural mm. uh so I want to connect the cow then with all those things in ways that I don't think are clear yet, but I suspect will become more clear. Yeah. And I also want to connect if the all of Division 3 is all about the hexagons and the bees and the beehive, there's also a connection of milk and honey.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, I don't know if that's something, anything... But I'm just going to put it out there. Yep. I don't have a lot of faith in that as being anything. Yeah. But it's, it's something. something. I definitely think that the cow is connected to the milk miracle. hmm Yeah. Those are my many thoughts about the cow.
1: Those are a lot of thoughts about the cow.
0: I know, right? I, I want to point out um, that uh, as we come in here, we have the throat singing again. The same throat singing that we had when Farouk was dying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We start out this section with it even before we, like, just when David wakes up in an empty place, we hear this throat singing. Mm -hmm. And also, this running around through creepy red-lit compound is so much like in Chapter 7, The Monster Appears, when they're running around in Mental Clockworks.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's a real, I think... uh, visual callback to that episode.
1: Mm-hmm. Flashing red lights are definitely a thing that keep happening again and again in this show. Yeah. Um, so the third singing is the monk, and it's the, the compelling song he has that leads the children out. And when we first watched this, even before anyone, anyone else said it, I was like, oh, he's Pied Piper. Yeah. So he's Typhoid Mary, and he's Pied Piper, and he's... It's interesting that they, they give the monk these labels.
0: It is.
1: And these... Uh, archetypal? Archetypal. That's the word I'm looking for. These archetypes. Yeah. And a monk is already an archetype.
0: Absolutely. I want to say, okay, about him being Typhoid Mary, we mm-hmm. went past it quickly, but uh, now we have actually said on screen that it was Typhoid Mary, and now we see him again kind of seems to be causing this chattery thing. I just want to say about Typhoid Mary that she is, was, the real Typhoid Mary was, A, asymptomatic, and B, Typhoid Mary doesn't cause the disease. She just spreads it. She just spreads it. Yeah. So if the monk is Typhoid Mary, that does not mean he is the cause of the disease. Mm -hmm. It just means that he is a contagious but asymptomatic sufferer of it. So we want to be careful that that doesn't mean that he's causing it. Mm -hmm. Farouk did not say he's causing it. He said he's Typhoid Mary.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Who Typhoid Mary didn't cause it. She did work as a cook despite knowing that she was Typhoid Mary, which like, oh, good gravy. Anyway, that's not about the show. (laughs) No. What? (laughs) What was the household cleaner supposed to do, Carrie?
1: I don't know. (laughs) I like bless carrie and his role in this show because he as i said before provides such great comic relief and comic timing and bill irwin is just the best <laughs> i love everything he does and yep. he makes this show he just adds this humor that i desperately need in this like crazy show
0: <laughs> yeah and uh dan stevens is really funny in this exchange too <laughs> like so, so lemony yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love that that line and that whole exchange is wonderful. It's a lot like, like, what's the household cleaner supposed to do to protect you? It's a lot like, what was the spoon supposed to do to protect you against Lenny? Yeah. We have twice Carrie, like...
1: Well, as he said, he's, it's... It's female Carrie who protects him. Yeah. She does the fighting. He has no sense of self-preservation because she is there to do it for him. Yeah. She's that half of him.
0: I think he has a sense of self-preservation. He has no skills.
1: No skills, yes. Yeah. And so this is him trying to be independent. This is his version of, yeah. like, I can't eat this food. I can't protect myself. Yeah. Where are you
0: to help me. I think you're right on. Um. Yeah. And then we're, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode. I feel like I noticed it in the last episode. But again, we see in the restaurant, the lamp and the filament in the lamp looks like a double helix. Yeah. It looks like DNA. It looks like DNA. Which is a classic symbol of Mm X-Men,
1: the DNA. Mm -hmm.
0: And we really emphasize, we really focus on it again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in Potonomy's mind, Mm
0: -hmm. we have this
1: garden maze.
0: Before Potonomy's Mind, can I say? Oh, yeah. When we find Potonomy, David says, they're in the maze, which was the first thing that David said when he woke up out of the orb back in Episode 9. Mm-hmm. So, the maze is something that we only know about because David knows about it because he said it, and he knows about it because he heard himself saying it. Yes. Okay.
1: So, Phytonomy's Mind is a garden. Yep. And a rose, like, a rose garden. Yep. And immediately when I see a garden, especially of white roses, I think of Alice in Wonderland. Yep. And so we had, in the first episode, we had White Rabbit being sung, Go Ask Alice. Mm Mm-hmm. We have... uh, in sometime in season 1 sid was talking about going down the rabbit hole
0: yeah i want to say in chapter 3
1: yeah something like that
0: maybe chapter 2 anyway yeah
1: and so we this is another kind of reference to this falling into wonderland falling into this world that is completely unlike our world and I feel like that's just one, more, this is just one more reference to that.
0: Alice in Wonderland is like a, a core text in the history of both psychedelic and surreal literature.
1: Yes, absolutely. Even though it
0: predates both of those words. hmm I like David comes up to uh, Ptonomy and says, it's David, which is just like Lenny in Farouk's mind saying, I'm Lenny. We have people in this episode identifying themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. And being ignored. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's going to come up as a line uh, not in this scene, but I totally agree. That is a seriously sharp suit, Potonomy. Yep. I love it. (laughs) It's great. And then, oh, and Carrie steps on tar. In Petonomy's mind. Yes. There's not tar in Melanie's mind.
1: Nope, there isn't.
0: So this tar creature is not the same thing as what's causing the chattering, I, think I still think. He, I think you may be right. I think you're onto something with that. I love uh, this flower thing, this flower garden isn't real. And Carrie says it's real to him. And we have, again, emphasis on, like, what makes things real. What's yep. the difference between what's something difference? that's real to me and something that's really real? Uh, what do you mean by real? Mm
1: hmm.
0: Coming up here again?
1: Um, I love when the moment Potonomy wakes and he's like, Do I need my gun? Yeah. And you're like, Nobody. Settle down with the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you not remember last season?
0: Apparently not.
1: Apparently not. He doesn't
0: remember things as well as he used to. Yeah. I like. So much how happy he is that he doesn't remember what happened. Mm -hmm. That even though he has come out of this mental prison of forgetting, he still gets to experience some forgetting. Mm -hmm. Whether that's because of this chattery mental prison or whether it's something that the uh, black creature is doing in his mind, I don't know. Yeah. And now, and like, David immediately wants to split up. And then later he will too. Why does David keep wanting to split up?
1: Because David is working with the Shadow King.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. He doesn't want to be with them because he isn't. And like, in practical terms, he wants to split up so he can find the monk and like what?
1: He wants to find Sid. He
0: wants to find Sid first. But like... He wants to split up so that he isn't with them when he finds the monk, though. Mm -hmm. Because his Shadow King agenda makes him want to be able to find the monk privately.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in Melanie's head, we have this text-based game.
0: Yeah. Love it.
1: Love it. I love uh, that David is in charge. Mm -hmm. He gets to type on the keyboard. But Patonomy and Carrie behind him are Patonomy and Carrie behind him are like a devil and an angel on his shoulders. Yeah. They're like backseat drivers. They have very differing opinions on what should happen. Yep, which I thought was interesting. He usually listens to Carrie. Yeah, Patonomy is really cautious, which is surprising to me that Patonomy would be the cautious one and Carrie would be the more jump in one. Well,
0: because Pytonomy knows what he's doing. Hmm. Because Carrie's going to get them killed. Carrie's going to squirt lemon juice at it.
1: Yes. Pytonomy is
0: going to go get his gun before he ter- he steps into danger. Pytonomy with his gun seems aggressive, but a gun is also a, a signifier of caution. Mm-hmm. Maybe over-caution. Right? Mm-hmm. And when, I love how he plays it when, like, go through the door. And like, no, look around first. Yeah. And he doesn't say, but thinks, moron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> I love how that's played. We have the, the and the words of the text, you're in a cave. You said this, uh, but I'm going to steal it because you didn't say it when you had a chance to. <laughs> You're in a cave. It's like Plato's cave.
1: Yeah. Do you want to explain a little bit about Plato's cave?
0: So Plato's Allegory of the Cave is a story in uh, Plato where... Imagine that you're in a cave and there, a bunch of people are chained to a cave and they're chained in such a way that they can just look at the cave's wall and there's a light behind them and people pass between the light and their backs and the people pat, cast shadows on the cave wall and the people in the cave believe that the only thing that exists are the shadows on the wall. One of the members of the cave escapes, goes outside and sees the real world outside of the cave and he comes back to try to tell the people in the cave that what they've been looking at is only shadows. They don't believe him and they kill him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Plato says philosophers like Socrates are people who are trying to tell everyone that the world is more than they think it is. That's significant because it's about the nature of reality. It's about the nature of perceiving, I mean, what it is to perceive what's real and what's true. It's also like... Shadows, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the, in the allegory of the cave, the things that you see that aren't real are shadows. And then yeah. we have the Shadow King in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Melanie bringing herself and the others back into the cave away from understanding the real world.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and what they have to do is bring Melanie out of the cave again. Mm-hmm. And she's not going to like it. Yeah. In the allegory of the cave, the people don't want to leave the cave. No.
1: That doesn't seem like she does. Because, I mean, David just keeps yelling for her. Yeah. Which is not going to work. Like, stop no. that, David. I know, right? Um, I found it interesting the fact that Melanie would have these words. Hmm. That her cave would be entirely with words and no images. When um, back in season one, Oliver formed... A shield out of words. Hmm, his yeah. his like magic or his ability was to make this these words form out of out of the air. Interesting. And so it's almost like she wants to be that as well. She wants to make words form out of the air, words that are meaningful, words that create reality.
0: And it's not just what what. Carrie says that she wants to be omnipotent, but specifically, she wants to have the same kind of power that only more so—the same kind of power that Oliver has. Exactly. I didn't see that, but that's great. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So
1: in the maze is the Minotaur, who yeah. we saw during Melanie's drug-induced haze. <sighs> yep. Yeah. The goat-headed,
0: dog apparently e- bull-headed.
1: Bull-headed, apparently. Yes. Which, once again, that's connected to the cow. We have a bull.
0: And we have, like, this is a, a contrast, right? Because we have a bull skull. A, mm-hmm. bull sim- a bull is a masculine symbol, and a skull is a symbol of death. Mm-hmm. And it's in a doggy wheelchair because it is, uh, that symbolizes lack of vitality. Mm-hmm. And that's contrasted to a cow, which is alive and life-giving and nourishing and a uh, feminine symbol. Mm-hmm. So it's really the opposite, like the minotaur is the opposite of the cow. Yeah. In a lot of ways.
1: What do we think of this story that David tells about Melanie?
0: I love it. Mm Mm-hmm. The solution for Melanie is a story because, uh, or the solution is not just telling her a story, it's telling her a story that shows that he has heard her story. Mm -hmm. In the last episode, we had Melanie telling stories that, we didn't listen to that. David wasn't listening to. She's talking and trying to make herself understood, and he's not listening to her. Yeah. And what matters in this episode is not just that he tells her a story, but that he tells her her own story and demonstrates that he has heard her.
1: Mm-hmm. That what she
0: wants and needs is not just someone to tell her a story, but to be recognized and understood, and to have her own story told back to her by someone who heard her when she told it in the first place. Yeah. I love it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we have then she, she appears she's dressed in red.
1: Mm-hmm. Melanie is never dressed in red.
0: She's never been in red before.
1: No. She's why? not dressed in red in, in the
0: real world. No. So why is she in red here? Red the red the words dead end are also in red when mm-hmm. everything else of her writing has been in white. Yeah. I don't think that her Red and the dead-end Red, I don't want to claim that that is connecting her to the same thing that Red meant in the first season.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't think it's connecting her to, like, the Devil with the Yellow Eyes and the Shadow King and Farouk and all that. No.
1: But I think it is connecting her to, she's different here. Very different than we ever have seen her before. Yeah. That her inside has redness, has pain.
0: Yep. And she, uh, he asks, Should I hug you? She says, Please don't. Mm hmm. So she's, his story has connected her, him to her, but only to a point.
1: Mm hmm. So back in the lab, they separate. David goes off. He sees two more letters appear from Sid, R and R again. He's dragged away by the children to the Chattery. And the monk whispers in his ear, and he's given a vision of the monk's life. In the monastery, the banging from the Shadow King echoes constantly as they try to go about daily life. One monk bursts into uncontrollable laughter, Two hang themselves, and the rest succumb to the chattering. Back in Division three, Carrie finds female Carrie in the hallway and is distraught to find that she's chattering. He disappears into her. Admiral Fukiyama is attached to the monk, and the monk uses vermilion to talk. He's looking for a weapon. Fukuyama denies that they have it, but Melanie says she thinks it's David. The monk starts to say that David can't be trusted, and David teleports both of them to the roof. The last letter appears from Sid, a Y, finally spelling out, hurry. The monk cares only about the body, and that David destroy it. David doesn't want anything bad to happen, but the monk says it already has, and leaps from the building. David then finds a chattering Sid. He enters her mind and finds a snowstorm. As we cut
0: to credits, so David calls. Did you catch that? David calls botanomy Paul. Yeah, what's up with that? That's what he was called in clockwork. I mean, in the mental clockworks. Hmm.
1: Is it his name? Is I don't his name know <laughs> somehow Paul, I don't really understand. I looked at I thought like, is his last name Potonomy? but no, it's Potoonymmy Wallace is his name,
0: yeah, why is he suddenly called Paul? I think we've talked in we've talked before about there was a fan theory that the whole show was happening inside David's head, and we didn't believe it. mm, mm-hmm. ah. Uh, I think this season I find more plausible that it's happening inside his head. And I think him calling Potonomy Paul is a sign to us that this is in mental, another mental prison like Clockworks was. Maybe. He's in another place that isn't the real world where Potonomy's name isn't what his name is or is what his name actually is or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And the set, when they wander off, where they split up, and David immediately gets separated from Carrie, and there's a shot of three paths, and David's like at the uh at this fork, and it looks just like a fork in the maze in uh Melanie's mind, though like the
1: Yeah, you reach a fork in the maze. You reach
0: fork in the maze, and it's in words. We have a shot of that with three hallways in division three. The Division Three compound, I'm saying, really looks like a maze.
1: Yes, it's it very has maze-like.
0: All season, but here more than ever. And the walls have arrows on them pointing you which way you should go, and they're always walking the wrong way. Hmm. They're never following the arrows. Yeah. And the, the he reaches a fork in the maze and carries along one hallway, and the children are along another, and the third one is all darkness. And he gets dragged off in one direction, and that's how they get separated. But like. Division 3 is a maze. Yeah. We saw that when we saw the fingers pointing from the sky. We wondered whether that was a maze. And here, like, the way this is shot really makes it look like a maze again.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then he gets dragged off and uh, put on a 6.
1: No, he gets put in a 9.
0: No, it's definitely a 6.
1: Definitely a (laughs) (laughs) 9.
0: Uh I think the reason it's a six or a nine is exactly for that, right? Yep. It's all about perspective. It's all about unsettling us. We don't know whether it's a six or a nine deliberately because we don't know which way is up. We don't know what is happening. mm mm-hmm. uh, Just like David is going to say in a few lines, we don't trouble finding any landmarks here. Mm-hmm. Or any anchors or whatever his line is.
1: Yep. Melanie says, check the pedestal. Mm-hmm. I guess that's Fukuyama?
0: That's Fukuyama's like
1: room. Room is the pedestal,
0: yeah. I think.
1: I guess right? that's the best theory we have.
0: Yep. And then we have the little interlude where David is a monk for a while.
1: I know, and it was like David. It was like David had Sid's power. Yeah. He was, I mean, it was in the past, so it's a different kind of way, but like. David was in the body of someone else.
0: We have the monk in just a few lines is going to say, I saw in your head as you saw in mine. Yeah. So the monk and David, like, exchange places in the past. Yeah. Which means the monk has lived some of David's life and experienced it, which is how he knows that David can't be trusted. Yeah. And David lives the monk's life, which I I think that the show was already telling us this, but... The I've seen in your head as you've seen in mine, I think, uh reinforces that what we see of David walking around in the monastery is like an accurate representation of what the monk has lived.
1: Yes. It's I think not so.
0: metaphorical. No. This is what happened to the monastery. mm mm-hmm. We have mon you have a monk laughing. Yeah. Like the Taganaki laughing epidemic.
1: So we've had Dancing, we've had plenty of on this show. So, we've had the dancing epidemic. Uh Now, here we have the laughing epidemic. Uh Uh-huh. And the milk miracle, Well, we have a cow make milk. So, like, all three of the things that were mentioned in that introduction
0: are coming around. Yep. I think absolutely. And then, yeah, I think absolutely. That's the last meaning of the cow. Mm -hmm. I kind of said that, but... We really clearly see here. We have the laughing epidemic. Man. And we have monks hanging themselves just like how David once hanged himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how Lenny hung herself in the with when they were with Farouk earlier in this episode.
0: Yeah. And the Farouk says the monk that the monk is spreading the carrying sickness, the chattering sickness. And let's say one more time that Typhoid Mary isn't the cause of the illness. She just spreads it. So this illness is at the monastery. How, what is causing it if not Farouk's body? Yeah. So Farouk is the cause of it, maybe.
1: And it feels like the banging from Farouk's coffin is making them all crazy.
0: It does, right? And we see throughout this section, David getting more and more tired like Mm his dark circles under his eyes by the end by the time he turns into the monk again yeah uh and it starts with them like in bed unable to sleep because of the banging yeah so like it's i think uh in literal terms the banging is like annoying but also in psychic terms the banging is a constant distraction in metaphorical terms that is just making them all tired yeah And it takes constant effort to ignore it Mm -hmm. for efforts to escape or whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. When we come into, when we see Fukuyama with the red basket on his head and like a white scarf trailing down, it really looks to me like a rose Hmm. he's like slumped over on his chair and the red basket looks like a red rose with a white stem which connects back again to photonomy's mind i suppose yeah maybe that's just me seeing something like maybe that's not anything but i don't know i think it really looks like a rose yeah i can see it i can definitely see it I really like the both the monk and Fukiyama talking through vermilions.
1: Yes, that was really interesting in different tones.
0: Yeah. I hope that this is not the end of the vermilions.
1: Oh, me too. I don't think he was killing him.
0: No. He was just
1: using him. Yeah. To talk. And like and connecting with him psychically. Yep. Yeah. I feel like So Division Three and the Monks and Summerland, all have this, like, long history. Yeah. So it's like, we put the Shadow King, you know, if you have any trouble, go to Division Three. They have a weapon, and Fukuyama is, like, going to have a weapon. We don't actually have it. And Melanie is pretty sure the weapon is David. Was the weapon planned to be David? Was the weapon going to be something else? They have the
0: monks and... Division three clearly had a relationship. Well, and if the monks were told to go to Division three, if you need help with Farouk's body, who could have told them that if not someone working on behalf of Professor X who defeated Farouk? Yes, exactly. So, David can't possibly be the intended weapon. Yeah. Because Professor X did not want David to be infected by Farouk and whatever whatever.
1: Yeah, and he was be only a baby at that point.
0: Yeah. But I think Melanie's not wrong that David currently is mm-hmm. the one capable of destroying Farouk's body.
1: Yeah. But that they've tried. They've tried yeah. to like burn it and things that it doesn't burn? Like what is up with that?
0: I don't know. It's great. That's crazy. And then up on the rooftop the monk and I love the monk's voice by the way mm-hmm. the deep voice really cool is that like it and at first it's kind of seems like it slowed down mm-hmm. but I wonder if it is just a voice because it doesn't continue to but at first it seems like it's that sound because like I wondered whether the way they did that effect was they had that actor talk and then slowed it down
1: I think so I think that's still the way it is done
0: he doesn't seem as much slowed down later in the scene, mm. but maybe he is. Yeah, I think he is. Um. Anyway, it sounds great and I like it. Mm-hmm. And the, when David says, I'm not going to let anything bad happen, the monk says, it already has. Mm-hmm. And then jumps off the building.
1: And this is a shot that we've seen before. Yeah. We saw when David was talking to... Potonomy, in the very first episode of this season, he was reliving memories from inside the sphere, and one of them was someone falling from a building, and it's this shot. And so, like, it's already happened. Has David already lived this? What is going
0: on? David has seen this thing happen before, and he learns in this episode that they're in the maze, and then he wakes up out of the orb and says they're in the maze, and help them we assumed, was connected to uh, Sid saying help him get his body. But in this episode, he's helping people that are in the maze. That's what he's doing through this episode. And we see the monk falling off the building in this episode and in the first one. So three episodes in, we're back where we started. And when the monk says something bad has already happened, it's easy to read that as if he's saying what has happened already is bad. Mm -hmm. But I think he's saying... The thing that you are trying to prevent has already happened because we are in a time loop. Yeah. Because the future has happened already. He's not saying the things that have happened already are bad. Mm -hmm. He's saying the bad thing that you think of as being in the future is not in the future.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And then he does a thing that we've seen him do before. Mm -hmm. And David is trapped in his own maze. Yep right
1: i think so i don't know if like if division 3 is in david's head but definitely this whole season itself us watching it is like watching a maze yeah. is like we are in a maze with these characters with this whole show
0: yes and it we viewers it, are in our maze.
1: Yeah, and it builds one thing on another and goes back and forth. And you're going around corners and finding yourself in a place you've already been before. Yep. And you're not sure if you have or if that just is a place that looks the same.
0: Yep. This uh, this season is a maze. Yes. Ing. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid words with two meanings. <laughs> <laughs> That is like impossible. <laughs> yeah, I know, right?
1: Uh, so David finds Sid. Yeah, she's chattering, and he immediately goes into her head. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some trailers of of uh, today's episode, the new episode coming out, and she it is in Sid's head.
0: So Do we want to predict that to the whole episode is going to be in Sid's head.
1: I'm going to guess that the vast majority of it is going to be in Sid's head.
0: Yeah, me too. It's a snowy and there's an igloo that we see. Mm-hmm. It's a snowstorm and an igloo. And like I remember back in Happy Jack when Sid and David are in the mental institution together and she talks about like living on a desert island all on her own is her fantasy life. Yeah. And here, uh, snowstorm is not a desert island, but it is like uh Signifier of isolation. Mm -hmm. She's all alone is her in the same way that Ptonomy wants to forget and Melanie wants to have word powers. Sid wants to be all alone. Yeah, absolutely. So the music in this episode. Mm -hmm. There's only one song. It is while we are in Farouk's mind. There's like a radio playing. You can barely hear it, but it's a song in French. Called amoureux Sauvetage, which means Lover's Rescue. Yeah. The words that I'm not gonna say, it's fairly long song. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. But it's a story of a a young man, uh, in very romantic but not happy, who goes to drown himself in the Seine River and he sees a girl who was also going to drown herself, and they jump in together, and she's like, Oh, uh, I'm sorry you see me looking so bad. And then the chorus that changes every time a little bit, but the basic chorus is it's not bad. I'm just like you. Hmm. And then they get rescued and they're all wet. So they have to strip off and the two of them are all naked. And the line, the line, I don't think it's important for the meaning of Legion, but the line is uh, like two little Jesuses. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, And she's like, oh, sorry for being like this. And he says, it's not bad. I'm the same. And then she falls in love with him because he looks good naked, I guess. And he's like, it's not bad. I'm the same. And then they go back swimming in the sand together happily. Hmm. Um, Okay, okay. So we have in this scene of Lenny repeatedly trying to kill herself, a song about someone trying to kill themselves Mm -hmm. and being saved by love But from someone who also is trying to kill themselves, but then decides not to because of love. Mm -hmm. And Lenny needs someone who loves her, but doesn't have someone. Yeah. And then we have through the whole season, I mean, and then we have through the whole episode, lots of saving, Hmm. lots of people going. David keeps sinking down into this place, like the metaphorical river that they're drowning in and pulling them out. And they are, feel... Vulnerable to be caught in the maze, and the song says, "We're all in the same position Hmm. because David's also caught in a maze." Yep. (laughs) Those are my interpretations of the meaning of this song here.
1: Yep, absolutely. I think that's a good good call. All right, does that wrap us up for this episode? I think.
0: I think it does.
1: Oh, man. That was a lot to think about. I This season
0: has been a mind trip. It sure has. Even
1: more than the last season.
0: If you want to talk to us about this episode, if you have your own thoughts that you want to uh, point out things that we didn't mention, that we missed, that you are sitting there thinking, well, obviously the cow symbolizes whatever, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Twitter at ClockworksCast.com. You can send us longer or more spoilery thoughts on email at clockworkscast at gmail.com. We're on all the places, and you'll find links in the show notes to those things. If you like this show, please rate and review it. And uh, if you like it and want us to be able to do more and better, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. That would be enormously appreciated. I've been Paul Moffat.
1: I've been Jan Moffat.
0: Goodbye.